Hello, this is Jennifer Lescalette from MDisrupt, and we're so excited to speak to Dr. Sarah England today. Dr. England is an Alan A. and Edith L. Wolf Professor of Medicine and Vice Chair of Research and Professor at the Department of OBGYN at Washington University School of Medicine. Dr. England, it's an honor to have you here today. You have an incredible academic research career, um, but you've also worked on the policy side of maternal and child health disparities um, with lasting legislative impact. And I am excited to speak to you today about the current state of health disparities for maternal and child health in the U.S. and how health tech innovators can lead and provide solutions But I'd love to start today by just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your career journey. Oh, thanks. And Jennifer, thank you so much for um, having me here today. Um, I grew up in Minnesota. Um, I'm from the Twin Cities. And I graduated from Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota with a uh, bachelor's degree in biology. After that, I went to the graduate Um, school at the Medical College of Wisconsin, where I got a PhD in physiology. After that, I went to Vanderbilt University, where I was a postdoctoral fellow in um, molecular physiology and biophysics, and was there for four years before moving on to the University of Iowa, where I was in the molecular physiology and biophysics department for 14 years. During that time, I did take a a sabbatical or a developmental leave for 16 months where I worked on Capitol Hill. And I worked in Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton's office with a focus on maternal child health policy, which was an incredible experience. After um, I returned back to Iowa for a few years and then was recruited to Washington University in 2011, where I've been ever since. Wonderful. Well, we're so happy to have you here today. Like I said, it's, it's a real honor. And I would love to um, understand and have you describe the current state of health disparities for maternal and child health today in the U.S., and then maybe describe some of the stats around that, um, what the issues are, and how social determinants play a role in that. Sure. It's, it's pretty clear if we look at many of the stats regarding um, women of color that they are um, not doing so well in terms of, of uh, health outcomes. For example, if we look at pregnancy-related deaths, um, which is considered the death of a woman during pregnancy, um, during pregnancy or within one year of the end of pregnancy from a complication of that pregnancy, Uh, or a chain of events initiated by the pregnancy um, or any really aggravation um, associated with this, it hits Black women, American Indian women, and Alaska Native women two to three times more like are more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. This disparity increases with age, um, and this has been done by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Report. So we know that um, this is a really significant issue and um, and that we it's about time that we really think about starting to address this. Now, many times we think this is just due to socioeconomic status, but this is not true. It's now it is known that black women with um, at least a college degree are still 5.2 times um, likely to have um 
to face these consequences compared to their white counterparts. I'd like, I'd like to, to understand what some of the factors are in, in those disparities and how hospitals and healthcare systems can address them. Yeah, you know, it's thought that most pregnancy-related deaths are preventable and that um, many of these, um, many of the um, pre- the causes for this can actually be addressed. We do know that there's higher rates of disrespect and abuse within the system, that there's higher rates of stress associated with um, situational experiences of racial dis- discrimination. As we probably know, even from some of the items that have made the um, the popular press about, you know, for example, Serena Williams, when she knew that she had a, a complication from her pregnancy where she was not really believed by the staff. And so this happens to uh, black women more commonly than it does to white women. And this is, is something that can, we can really address by listening to women during their pregnancy and when they know that there is a problem. So I, I, I do think that we have to, um, as a healthcare profession, has to be more cognizant uh, of listening to the women of color. And are there... Are there things going on right now, like in in medical school or in training, that are helping um, provide medical professionals focus on this a bit more, so that they can understand the stats and understand how they can you know take take it within themselves to make to make sure that that there's a change, the tide's changing to um, to just better communication between women and and their healthcare professionals. Yeah, I really do believe that the tides are changing. Um, There's a curricular development that is going on across the country right now um, for medical schools, and they're paying much more attention to issues of this nature. So it is not only that, but I do think that um, that the federal government, especially research, is also realizing that we have to address health disparities much more so than we have in the past. So I do think that the tides are changing, that we are realizing that this is not good for the future, that in order to bring down some of these trends and in order for the state of maternal child health, that we have to be much more aware of um, how we treat these patients, how we study them in the laboratory, how we study um, them epidemiologically. We have to have a greater focus on those that are carrying the burden of disease. I feel like there could be opportunity in the area of like population genomic studies or population health studies. And it seems like a, there's a lot more of them are ensuring that the distribution across the people that they're I- enrolling in the studies is uh, more reflective of the pop, you know, the, the broader population. And so I'm wondering if these types of studies, um, from an academic standpoint, if those studies can play a role. And are there studies out there that are focused on maternal and child health that, you know, that could help with understanding, you know, at a deeper, more scientific level of what some of the, the issues are? So there's socioeconomic, but and then is there, can these studies help kind of enlighten the issue and, and make a, a bigger impact? Yes, I, I do think that they they can. Um, I, I do think that there has been much more of an emphasis 
by some foundations as well as the our academic institutions and government agencies to address these concerns. For example, the CDC um, is awarding more to, more than forty five million over five years to support the Maternity Mortality Review Committee um, through a program called Enhancing Reviews and Surveillance to Eliminate Maternal Mortality. And this investment will provide over $9 million a year to 24 recipients representing 25 states. Also, the NIH has announced many grant opportunities recently focused on addressing addressing issues of health disparities and maternal mortality. And they're just of one of many federal agencies that are are doing this and looking at ways to improve maternal health and pregnancy outcomes with the goal of preventing, which I think is really important, as well as treating pregnancy-related complications, because it is hard for individual institutions to study maternal mortality and morbidity Overall, it is a significant problem. However, we need to have collective efforts with many institutions in order to do this. And the way we can do this is to actually look at the complications that are going to reduce this cardiovascular disease, for example. So the efforts are really aimed to improve and understand and also, you know, think about ways to diagnose things earlier, as well as treatment and prevention, which I also think is incredibly important, is that we don't always want to just treat the disease, but we want to find ways in which to prevent it. And I also think it's really important that we find ways to collect data and to track general trends in this area, which I think is going to be fairly important. Many in our MDisrupt audience are health tech leaders um, with access to um, to capitals, investors, technologies, and solutions, and you know, giving, given like I mean, we said earlier, this, these staggering numbers, and the fact that we still have these types of numbers in the U.S., where you know we have access to you know incredible technology, yet you know we we still um, you know we still have these high rates of mortality. It's kind of unbelievable that we haven't been able to close the gap more quickly. Yeah, you, you're not kidding. Uh, and also, too, I think that we have such great ideas. Um, I think, you know, academic centers are definitely centers for innovation. And so I don't think there's a shortage of good ideas that we can use. But many, you know, many academicians are in the discovery phase. And but they get stuck in what are called these innovation bottlenecks where something is discovered, but in order to implement requires funding and requires systems that are not necessarily the systems that were built for academic institutions. So it would be, it would be interesting to hear your perspective on, you know, what entrepreneurs can do in terms of helping bridging that gap from academia to creating something that can be used in a more widespread fashion? Sure. Um, You know, I think that a lot of the, you know, kind of health tech and tech entrepreneurs um, are not only highly innovative, but I think many do want to have a social impact. And I think maternal child health is the utmost in uh, trying to have a um, 
a, a social impact is trying to want to do better in this arena. Um, one is I, I think that sometimes these solutions don't necessarily have to be, you know, they can, they can actually be pretty simple and things that are already being done in the tech industry. This can include, you know, building better and easy to use information gathering systems. You know, we are pretty lucky in the United States is that we are able to gather information pretty, pretty quickly and get statistics run, but that's not the case in all parts of our country. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting here in an academic center that um, leads in many areas uh, of science and research, but we don't always think about somebody is who's in an area where um, their data may not be collected um, or considered. So that is one thing. Another thing is that it's trying to spread these um, innovations that have been that have been developed. So I think a lot of this is is raising awareness for the problems that we're facing for maternal child health. Now, maternal child health is obviously key um, for the health of the entire family. It it takes a toll when you have a sick child and other children at home. So I think it's important for us to realize that. Um, the tech industry could help raise awareness. We know right now that the intrauterine environment programs the child for many generations. So addressing maternal health issues has really long-lasting health benefits. Second, I think that the health tech industry can partner with academia to show great innovation um, in partnerships with reproductive health um, researchers. Right now, we're partnering with engineers to develop devices that are needed to help care for women during pregnancy, and many academicians are very interested in partnering with other innovators who really have a sincere and committed desire to improve maternal child health. Also, if we think about this, a lot of women are going into these technological fields, and they're going to have children. And they're going to really want this to be studied. So I think there's also going to be great innovation in this space in the years to come. From a collecting gathering system, is that something that, that like big tech can help with in terms of getting out to people and getting information on parts of the populations that you know, we might not have that information on right now? Yeah. You know, a few years ago, um, the financial times, I think it was the financial times identified a number of projects that could ease the burden of maternal and child mortality around the world. And I thought this was really interesting um, because they brought up the fact that not all states gather information on race, ethnicity, income, and health insurance status because there was no national standards for data collection on maternal mortality statistics. I thought that that was really interesting. It it actually brought up um, some similarities. I worked on the newborn screening bill when I was in um, Senator Clinton's office, and the states varied so significantly on that some states were only testing for six conditions where other states were testing for 49. And so it just depended on where you were born. So if we, you know, could come up with systems because it's really 
um, some information gathering systems because data is really critical for recognizing and understanding the disparities. And without them, you it's really hard to get accountability for maternal mortality. And it could differ based on the region that you're in. For example, if you're in a region that has high environmental exposures, it may be important to know that um, versus if it's due to cardiovascular reasons, right? Because you could then um, inform policies that address the environmental issues. So I think the information gathering systems, I always think it's important to have data and Mm -hmm. to use that data to the best of your knowledge in order to, to modify trends. We had talked a little bit before about going back to one of your earlier statements that it doesn't have to be like for health tech entrepreneurs, it doesn't have to be a huge win. Like it doesn't have to be this dramatic, innovative technology. You can have some things that are, are very simple that can do a lot for maternal health. And you had mentioned one thing that was um, this low tech approach to skin to skin contact. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about, about that and just these simple ways that, I've really done a lot to help, but it just, it, it didn't have to be the, it didn't have to be an enormous win. It's, it's just something that's simple and easy to implement. Yeah. So, um, kangaroo care is actually used. It's a, you know, a low tech approach that uses skin to skin contact between mothers and children, but it's been shown to lower neonatal mortality. And again, you know, in this article, it was really important because they were they were looking for investors and health tech to you know get this information out but also to train the trainers right like to train people how to do kangaroo care and i you know i thought that that was really interesting because it may seem you know fairly simple but it has been uh, fairly effective And another simple thing that my colleagues and I have spoken about quite a bit, you know, oftentimes we assume that people can get to us in order to receive health care, that they can, you know, here we have a country that has some of the best care in the world, but sometimes it's not easy for people to access this care. Mm -hmm. And we know, for example, in the state of Missouri, which, um, and even in the city of St. Louis, where there's, um, where there is kind of these healthcare deserts or the, where people were have, um, what's called, um, deprivation index, where Mm -hmm. they are not able to acquire care. And we know the more deprivation, the worse their outcomes. So we also we often say, well, we have all the data. Why can't we just get kind of a magic bus to drive to that area to provide women with care in the 12 weeks after childbirth, which is called the fourth trimester? And this is really a key window of opportunity to provide health care to mothers and babies. We don't really focus on this kind of immediate post-pregnancy time. But this is, I know my colleagues, um, the physicians in labor, in maternal fetal medicine would uh, love to get a mobile unit and to get to where the women live to provide them access to services. And why this is important is during this 12 weeks, it's a really great time to provide services for 
emotional well-being and also to provide contraception and talk to women about birth spacing because spacing your having your children born very close to each other is a they're at much higher risk for poor pregnancy outcomes and poor uh, neonatal outcomes but also to ensure that they're getting enough sleep and help them with their medications and also to prevent substance abuse during this time. And for women who um, may have been abusers prior to their pregnancy, but to check on them and to, and just to make sure that they physically recovered from childbirth. So we've talked about, you know, this would be a simple solution, but it would have great strides and make mm-hmm. great strides in maternal health. I, I love that idea. We, I live in a fairly rural town in, here in Maryland. And we have um, these mobile vans, these mobile units that go out. Some of them are focused on um, maternal health, but a lot of them are focused on, you know, ensuring that, you know, like with, you know, drug issues and substance abuse issues and things like that. But I I, I love that idea of being able to, like you said, go to where, um, you know, go to where the patients are and where they live and and operate. And I think especially with COVID, people might be, especially moms, if they don't have a car to get to the hospital or they can't bring their, you know, a loved one or a family or a friend member with them because of of COVID, um, they might feel isolated and they might they might not be able to get to the to the hospital even. You know, maybe it's far away. They don't want to expose themselves. So I think even you know, in the state that we are in now with the pandemic, I think having these types of vans and m- mobile units to go out and, and meet people where they live is, is like even, I think is even more important. I agree because the, you know, these health disparities have been exacerbated during COVID. Yeah. The pandemic has hit Blacks and people of color um, at a greater um, degree. So I agree is that this would be, a key time and, you know, having a baby during this time, as you can <laughs> I couldn't believe, I wouldn't you know? be, in, yeah, it's <laughs> awful. Yeah. yeah, many times, you know, people cannot bring, you know, for a while, they weren't even able to bring like a partner into the the room with them. And yeah. if they had, yeah. you know, midwife or doula services, they could not bring, um, you know, someone in. And so I thought, I think it is really important, you know, during uh, you know, we still have a few months <laughs> to, <laughs> while we're through this. Maybe, you know, according yeah. to Dr. Fauci, I think we're going to yeah. be in mass for a while. So I do think it's important that we yeah. consider that um, people are still going to need a lot of help during this time. Yeah, absolutely. As a, as a mom with children and, you know, especially when you think of the stats, I mean, this issue, it, it, it does really hit home because you can you can see how it can how it can play out and, and looking at the stats and, and, you know, just understanding, you know, what it would be like to be isolated and alone and trying to cope with many different, you know, many different aspects of having, you know, having just been pregnant, having a new, new baby, maybe suffering from like the consequences of maybe a C-section or, you know, whatever happens during the childbirth process, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, you, you can understand it from that perspective, from a health tech perspective, health check on leaders, they, they, they have access to, to money and they're trying to have these innovative solutions and you know, your thoughts on how to link them into it. Because I think 
earlier you had talked about the social impact. And I think certainly, you know, that's a high value and high understanding when it comes to you know, health tech companies. There, there's definitely this link to the social impact. But then I think there's also this link to, you know, the, the dollar amount and making sure that their company is viable and that they can, you know, maybe they they go on to have a, an IPO or maybe they go on to sell the company, but there's always this cash flow and money associated with it. And I'm wondering, how do you get health tech entrepreneurs and, and leaders to develop in this and innovate in this area, but then they also achieve some of these other more financial goals? I, I feel like investors are moving towards more impact investing and mm-hmm. investing in companies that are doing social good and yeah. and are looking at a, a broader portfolio of, you know, they want to make money, but they also want to to make sure that they are doing well for the environment, that they're doing well for society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that this is a field that is really exploding right now. So for me, I I think that this is a a great time to go into maternal child health for this reason is, you know, if you improve maternal health, you actually are going to improve child health, typically, because if the mother is healthy, then um, you have a higher uh, chance of the, that, that the child will be healthy. So this is actually kind of a feed forward system where it has long term gains. So I, I understand that, um, you know, I think there's also great innovation as long as you know, that there is a movement towards reaching out to other innovators in the field. When we started, when I started my career, it was really important to be independent, um, have your own ideas and to do them by themselves. But it's really gone to team science and working with others to move your ideas forward. So now it's not just one lab that does a project, it's multiple labs that work together. And I do think that there is movement also to do this in the space of, of, of women's reproductive, women's reproductive health. Actually, soon after this meeting, I have a meeting with uh, engineers who are also interested in developing technologies for women's reproductive health. And a lot of the women going into engineering right now are very interested in uh, in this area. And right now our um, biomedical engineers, I think we're getting close to 50% are women. So it's really starting to change. Wow. Yeah. So I think it's, it, I think the field is changing whether um, in, in a positive way. So I really think there's going to be quite a lot of innovation in this field. Mm-hmm. And, and it carries along with that, the passion of, of wanting to to do something and taking a problem like this and, and trying to, to really move it forward. Absolutely. I, I think you do have to have, uh, you know, a passion for something of this uh, and to want for you just want things to actually get better. But, you know, if anybody in the audience is interested in this, they are free to welcome to, um, to reach out to me and I can connect them with either myself or many other um, investigators who are really interested in in this area and health tech in this area. Dr. England, I have one last question for you, and this is really for 
the women health tech entrepreneurs in the audience. And I, I just want to ask you, you're such a an amazing person in your in in your field within academic research, within policy, within health tech, and you've you've just done um, so many incredible things. Especially, you know, you've it's not only been the research side, but then you've taken like we talked about your passion, and you've really put it to work and um, in helping um, helping women and in child health. And I just want to ask, you know, what advice do you have out there for, for women that are you know, just starting their career or they're maybe they're, they're in the middle of the career and they want to make a change? Like, how, What advice can you give them in their career and personal journeys? Yeah, I, I really think a lot of this is um, following, truly following what your passion is. I did not train in women's health. Actually, I did not train in the reproductive area. I trained in cardiovascular sciences. And I was interested in this. And I was really settled on having a career in this area. But then I read this paper about preterm birth. And it was the end of my postdoctoral training. And I thought, wow, this is really, this is really interesting. So I read up on it, I connected with people who connected me with more people. And I, um, and then I just kind of fell for this for this field. Um, what was interesting is I ended up going into the neonatal intensive care unit with a friend of mine who was a, a NICU nurse. And then I saw this baby who had been born at about six months and who was being kept alive by, you know, multiple machines. And, and it was, you know, I don't yeah. know if I would call it traumatizing, but it was really, alarming. But then I talked to the mom and she was blaming herself for this when we don't actually know why this happens. Mm -hmm. And so I am very interested in people understanding that we don't have all the answers, but we need really innovative minds and creative minds in this space so there is room for you if you change your field <laughs> to um, to um, to find this. And there, I am part of a group called the Women's Health Collaborative that is women who are all very interested in helping other women in in women's health. So if they're interested in also being part of the Women's Health Collaborative, this group ha- will help you network and find others who you may connect with who who want you to move forward in the field. So you just have to be a little fearless and be okay, not knowing, (laughs) being okay, um, not knowing everything. And it's very rewarding when you get, when you do get into it. 